0: You are listening to the Life Church Podcast. To learn more about Life Church, including our gathering times at Fisher's, Eagle Creek, Noblesville, Pendleton, or our Life Crew online, visit us at LifeChurchIM.com or follow the link in the description. Today's talk is from Pastor Mike Melito. We're in Second Samuel chapter 4 today. And we did have a week off last week with Scott Hagan, and it was an excellent, excellent message. But I do want to do a a brief review of where we were um, before so that we can kind of get back up to speed. We were at the end of chapter three last time, and this is where we learned about Abner's death. Abner was the commander for Ishbosheth. Ishbosheth was Saul's son that Abner propped up as king of the northern uh, kingdoms of Israel even though David was supposed to be king. And Abner, at one point, actually made his own move on the throne. And he, uh, he slept with one of Saul's concubines. And that actually is to say, I'm going to take the throne. That's really what that meant. So Ishbosheth was really upset about that. Um, and he didn't like that. And he challenged Abner on that. And Abner didn't like being challenged. So Abner said, you know what? I'm gonna go do what was supposed to be done all along. I'm going to give the rest of this kingdom to David and it isn't gonna be yours anymore. So he was a guy that was making the right move for the wrong reasons, right? He was supposed to do that to begin with, right? He's really out of options there. Uh, he killed Azahel, which was Joab's brother. So Joab, who was the commander of David's armies, had a personal vendetta against him. ish lost confidence in him, so he was left with this one power play. And the way he challenged Israel, after he went to David, the way he challenged Israel to make David his king, he said, you've been talking about this for a long time. You've been singing songs about it, right? Saul, his thousands, David, his tens of thousands. You've been talking about making David your king for a really long time. Now then, do it. Now then, do it. That's what he says, a very direct You know, and if there's something I want you to remember from that is that phrase, now then do it. Because the same way that Abner challenges them to say, hey, quit talking about it and now do it. It's the same way for anyone, uh, maybe you're here and maybe you know someone who's been talking about making Jesus their king, been talking about following the Lord, been talking about getting on the right track with God, been talking or, or even singing about, it. maybe you know someone who's, they listen to the Christian radio station, they sing along with songs, but their lives don't add up. And the same thing can be said to them. You've been talking about this, now then, do it. Just do it. Quit talking and start doing, Right? And so we, we find this great challenge, and yet at the same time, Joab is not happy that Abner has been treated so nicely by David, because David threw a banquet for him. And you got to remember, Abner was the commander of Saul's army, so he was the commander of the enemy of Saul, who tried to kill David over and over and over again. So it was really kind of strange to begin with that David would throw a banquet for him, but that's David, right? David... David is not trying to forcefully take what God told him was his. God told him he was going to be king. And so he had really, in some people's books, every right to go after Abner and to go after Saul's house. But he said, no, I'm going to let God do that. And so he's going to treat Abner well. But Joab had this personal vendetta, right? He took matters into his own hands, apart from David's command, and he went... And he tricked Abner, and he killed Abner. And when he did that, David called curses down on him. And remember, I talked about how when we go out from underneath the covering of our Lord, like Job went out from underneath the covering of David, we subject ourselves to the curse of this world. I wish I had it up here with me, but when we were uh, talking about this last time, I had an umbrella right? They're, they're probably being used anyway today. <laughs> but I talked about opening the umbrella and holding it when it's raining outside and then getting tired of holding it. But it's still raining, but you're just tired of holding it. So you close it up and you put it away. And then you start to wonder, why am I getting so wet? Well, it's an it's a illustration. It's a principle, if you will, of when we come out from underneath God's covering and then we start to say, why is my life so difficult? Why are things going the way they're going? Joab is a picture of this when he comes out from underneath David's command and he does his own thing and curses are called down on him. And the question was, too, that Abner, he had left Hebron when Joab came back and Hebron was called a city of refuge. So Abner would have been safe if he would have just stayed in the city of refuge but he didn't stay. He left. And that that caused us to question this. What about when we leave our place of refuge? We see over and over again in this passage that we talked about last time, this idea of not coming out from underneath the lordship of Jesus Christ and not coming out from our refuge, which is who? Jesus. Jesus. Jesus is our refuge. And when we leave our place of refuge, it's no different for us. And David was not happy about Abner dying. And in fact, we talked about how sometimes things happen that the king doesn't want to happen. And the same is true about God. We, we sometimes, some, maybe some good-hearted, misguided people have said something like, well, everything for a reason. God must have wanted it to happen. Just because something happened doesn't mean God wants it to happen. God wants everyone to be saved and know him, and yet every day there are people who die apart from him. That doesn't mean God wanted that to happen. So if you've been through some hardships, don't be so quick to blame God for that. God didn't want that. God doesn't want you to be mistreated by people. He doesn't want your life to fall apart. Just like David didn't want Abner to be killed. He was the king. And his own commander did something apart from the king. And we too, because of free will, can do things apart from God. And so it's not his fault. Just remember that. That brings us to 2 Samuel chapter four today. And we're gonna just take this piece by piece. If you, I don't know if you read ahead when we do this. Um, I would highly encourage you to do that. Just read a chapter or two ahead and that way you could come and just be curious. If you read this passage, you might've gone, wonder where he's gonna go with that one. Because it's, it's, it's just one of those passages that you could easily read and just keep going and not really get anything out of it. But there's so much in here. We'll just start in verse one. When Saul's son Ishbosheth. Heard that Abner had died in Hebron, he gave up. He gave up. What some translations said, he lost heart, and all of Israel was dismayed. So the ground below Ishbosheth's feet is shrinking. All of his brothers are dead. Saul is dead. Abner is dead. He is beginning to lose everything. By the way, I don't think I mentioned this, but it's incidental that Ishbosheth, his name literally means man of shame. Man of shame. We've talked about what a weak leader he is. He wasn't really supposed to be the leader. Abner just propped him up. And he really wasn't any kind of leader without Abner helping him. And he knew that. And so Abner dying was the straw. It's what caused him to finally lose heart, right? Even though Abner and him had a falling out, Abner was still alive, but now he's not alive. So, Ishbosheth, the man of shame, the weak leader, the ground was sh- shrinking beneath his feet. So, he's giving up. And the rest of the kingdom was in dismay. It's worth noting that when this is the trajectory we put our lives in, when we, like Ishbosheth, don't follow God's direction for our life. Ishbasheth was not supposed to be king. There is a reason why he was so uncomfortable in that spot. He was never meant to be there. There's a reason why he was such a lousy leader. He wasn't meant to be there. And while he st- took that spot, the ground shrank beneath him and everything started falling apart. Listen, when you go outside of God's will for your life, when you start to do things that really aren't the things that God wants you to do, you set yourself up for the same trajectory. It may go well for a while, but it's not gonna stay that way. Amen? And you might be in situations today that are like that. And you also notice this. Ishbosheth, Abner, what's happening to these people, it's not God doing this to them. God is not doing this. Likewise, when we make our own choices, the consequences we experience, it's not God punishing you. God punished Jesus for you. This is more us discovering why God told us to go the other way in the first place. He knows there are consequences for certain choices. He knows there's things we ought not do because it will end in destruction. And so that's why we even have direction from him. Right? The things that we incur by going outside from God's will are self-inflicted wounds. Some, you know, Sometimes we, we get this idea, God, God is punishing me. No. He punished Jesus for you. He took that out on Jesus. Verse 2. Saul's son had two men. Who were leaders of raiding parties? One named Baana, and the other one was Rechab, sons of Ramon the Berithite of the Benjamites. Beroth was also considered part of Benjamin, and the Berithites fled to Gittim, and still reside there as aliens today. So this is really all that's left of his kingdom. Is these really these two guys, the raiding parties, these fighting men? Verse four, Saul's son Jonathan had a son whose feet were crippled. He was five years old when the report about Saul and Jonathan came from Jezreel, about Saul and Jonathan dying. His nanny picked him up and fled as she was hurrying to flee, and he fell and became lame, and his name was Mephibosheth. Try that. Just look in the mirror someday and just say Mephibosheth. (laughs) Just, okay. If you're looking, by the way, if you're looking for Bible names for your kids, I I would not recommend any of these. (laughs) (laughs) I just wouldn't. Now, we have this verse, verse 4. It talks about uh, Saul's son, Jonathan, and his his son. And we go back in verse 5, and we're going right back to Rechab and Banana. Banana, sorry. (laughs) And so when when you first read this, you look at verse 4, and you're kind of like, well, that's random, what in the world is that about? It's not really random, actually. So what, what this passage is trying to tell us is if there were any chance of maintaining any part of the kingdom for Ishbosheth for Saul, it would have been through Mephibosheth. By the way, his name means the mouth of shame. But he wouldn't be able to lead Israel's armies because he was crippled, so he couldn't, he couldn't be king. This is driving the point home. There are no options left for the house of Saul. And so it's saying they learned about Jonathan and Saul, so the nanny picked up and ran. Why? Because it was customary when a new king came to go after the old king's family. So there wouldn't be any chance of any kind of challenge to the throne. That's why they were fleeing. But it's interesting to note that the nanny picked him up, he would have been, Mephibosheth would have been somewhere around five years old at this time. And so, when you're thinking about this, and you're thinking about running from anyone, have you ever tried to chase after a (laughs) five-year-old? I just feel, I I wonder why the nanny felt the need to pick him up. I wondered that. Because if we're running, he could probably run faster than me. Just run, kid, run. I'll be right behind you. Right? (laughs) Right? go and yet he picks she picks him up and we and and if you read it it's not until he's dropped she drops him that he becomes crippled so what does this mean well some scholars believe that mouth of shame the reason why his name was mouth of shame was because he had bad breath no (laughs) they believe he was an asthmatic so, as an asthmatic five year old, if he was to run, it would put a lot of stress on his lungs, so the nanny had to pick him up. The point being is this he was crippled from birth. Right? And this was all that was left of the house of Saul. This is it. Verse 5. Rachab and Ba'ana, the sons of Ramon the Barathite, set out and arrived at Ishbosheth's house during the heat of the day. While the king was taking his midday nap, they entered the interior of the house as if to get wheat and stabbed him in the stomach. Then Rechab and his brother Baana escaped. They had entered the house while Ishbosheth was lying on his bed in his bedroom and stabbed and killed him. They removed his head, took it, and traveled by way of Arabah all night. It tells us what happened not once but twice for emphasis. So these are the remainder of Ishbosheth's fighting men, and they, in a very cowardly manner, go in and kill Ishbosheth. This was planned. This was they planned ahead for this. It says in the midday when they were taking their nap, which sounds glorious, by the way. We need to go back to having siestas, don't we? But at that part of the world, it gets very hot in the middle of the day. So they would wake up early and get their work done early, try to get as much of it done early, and they would try to take a nap during the heat of the day to kind of, you know, chill, so to speak. And so they knew he would be sleeping. And they knew they could use the wheat, getting wheat, as an excuse. So they, they planned ahead to kill this weak man that they're supposed to defend in his sleep. These are nothing more than some junior high bullies that think they're all that and they're nothing. This is, this is completely unjust. You, you see things in the Bible like this and you scratch your head, you're like, how could God let that happen? Remember, just because it happened doesn't mean God wanted it to happen. There's a lot that happens here in the Old Testament. And people get all confused. See what God, you know, your God is about this. No, he's about free will. We talked about David having so many wives. That's not because God wanted him to have so many wives. And there were consequences to pay for that. And it's really, actually says a lot about the scriptures that it's that honest with us. It will give us the whole truth all the time. Even the ugly parts, but these men went as cowards and they kill their so-called king. Verse eight: They brought Ishbosheth's head to David at Hebron and said to the king, "Here is the head of Ishbosheth, the son of Saul, your enemy, who intended to take your life. Today, the Lord has granted vengeance to my lord, the king, against Saul and his suffering. The Lord has granted vengeance," they said. Look what God has done for you, David. Sometimes God-centered speech is a means to cover me-centered motives. They were spiritualizing something they did that was awful. And I hope none of us have done that here, but maybe you've experienced someone who's done something awful to you, and they've spiritualized it, and it's, It's almost blasphemous. And maybe, I mean, that's the cause of a lot of what we call church hurt today. Things happen, and we spiritualize it, and it hurts. This is what they're doing, and and many times, Christians even, decide to believe that because something happened, or God allowed it to happen, or because they were left with no choice, that God wanted that thing to happen, or wanted them to do the thing. God willed it. I've shared this story before, but it's worth repeating. Years and years ago, when I first got started out in ministry, I was a youth pastor in Pittsburgh. And uh, we always had prayer at the end of service, and uh, our men's ministry leader came up and asked for prayer. And in Pennsylvania, your cars have to go through every year a really rigorous inspection. It it really it drove me nuts, to be honest with you. Because like, it was you had to pay for the inspection, it was a couple hundred bucks. And then you had to pay for whatever repairs the inspector said you had to do, right? Which, Donya and I used to argue about this because I told her, she grew up in Pennsylvania, I'd be like, Donya, your state's stupid. Like, who do they think they are trying to tell me what I gotta do with my car? And then we came to Indiana and she started to see some of the cars that were on the road and she was like, my state is stupid? I mean, come on, so, but. Uh, We saw a car at one point, uh, literally the rear bumper was duct taped on and that was like, well, that wouldn't happen in Pennsylvania because it wouldn't pass inspection. So, but his prayer was that, hey, pastor, inspection's coming up. I can't afford it. I know I can't afford what they're going to tell me I have to do. Please pray. In the following week, he came back just beaming. He was so excited to tell me, God answered our prayers really this was also the leader of our men's ministry by the way God answered our prayers I found a friend who would sell me a sticker under the table (laughs) so I could put it on my car like I had an inspection and everything's good praise God I just kind of Looked at him for a minute, I thought, oh, this is heartbreaking, because he was sincere. He was sincere. He was truly sincere. Joe, that's not how that worked. Joe, does God want you to break the law? Well, it just seemed like this was his, you know, he provided it. Does God want you to break the law? (laughs) Well, why else would we have prayed? And this became, Joe, does God want you to break the law? (laughs) No, no, you could see how easy it is and innocent it could be to spiritualize something and say God made this happen even when he didn't. We could do it and and, and not even know that we're doing it. He didn't know that, He, he was as sincere as sincere can be. That's why it was heartbreaking, really. But we've gotta be really, really careful not to spiritualize something, blame God, give God credit for things that he never did. And that's what they were doing, they had selfish motives. Their motives were not to finally make David their king. They saw the writing on the wall, they saw where things were going and they saw, we've gotta make a place for ourselves in this kingdom. We've got to do something because it's going that way anyway. So their great idea was to go kill a man in his sleep and bring his head to David. It's kind of like they don't even know David at all. Because remember what happened with Abner? Joab killed Abner. You would think David would be happy about that, but he wasn't. He called curses down on Joab. You remember what happened when he found out this guy killed Saul? You'd think he'd be happy about that. But no, he has the man who killed Saul killed. They must not have heard these stories. Because if they did, they probably wouldn't have done what they did, right? So you got to be really careful when you do things and you assume God wants you to do them or you assume that God will give you favor for doing them when he never said that at all. God did not kill Ishbosheth. Rechab and Ba'ana did this on their own whim. And before you try to do something for God to gain his favor, can I remind you what we've already heard this morning during communion. There's nothing that you can do to earn God's favor. There's nothing that we can do on our own behalf to make a place for ourselves in God's kingdom. Nothing we can do would ever be enough to make up for the sin in our life. What we needed to happen to gain favor with God has already been done by Jesus. All of it was accomplished by Jesus. So don't go and try to do something to earn something that's already been paid for And in the long run, ending up making a mess of things. And I think it's just really fitting, let the Holy Spirit to do an inspection in your heart. David said in Psalms, search me, O God. See if there be any wicked way in me. Because there's things in our lives, you, me, everybody, that sometimes we assume God wanted to happen, or we do things that when we really think about it, we probably know better. But because God allowed it, we thought he must be okay with it. Because that's what these guys were doing. And it doesn't end well for them. They should have known better, really. Verse 9, but David answered Rechab and his brother Ba'ana, the sons of Ramon the Barathite, as the Lord lives, the one who redeemed my life from every distress, pause there, one great thing about David, you see, David's a man after God's own heart, but he's got all these wives. He's a mixed bag, right? He's a mixed bag. We're all mixed bags, aren't we? I'm a mixed bag, for sure. He may not be perfect, but he remembers where he came from. He said, as the Lord lives, the one who has redeemed my life from every distress When the person told me, look, Saul is dead, he thought he was a bearer of good news, but I seized him and put him to death at Ziklag. That was my reward for him for this news. He's reminding him, and we need to be reminded, David's saying, I have not taken this kingdom. I have not forcefully advanced this kingdom. I was anointed king years ago, but I have left it to God to give me this kingdom. I haven't gone after Saul. I didn't go after his sons. I didn't go after his commander. I didn't do any of that. In fact, he defends them because he wanted to be, to be perfectly clear that God is the one who redeemed him. God's the one who promised him the kingdom. God's the one who was gonna give it to him. He did nothing to gain it. It was all done by God, Right? He wanted that to be crystal clear. In fact, it says in so many times when, when, like when Abner died, he wanted Israel to know, I did not want that to happen. This is not because of me. God is my defender. Don't we all need to do that? Let God be our defender. Let God fight our battles. Let God deliver us. Let God bring us his promises. Stop striving to do it on our Our own. David is an excellent example of this. And you know who else let God do the work? Was Jesus. Jesus is king of everything, he's king of kings. And he came to this earth and he lived a human life. And he allowed God to determine the timing of everything, he allowed God to be his defender. He even said at one point, I could call down legions of angels. But he doesn't do this. He allows God to do it, like David. Verse 10, when the person told me, look, Saul is dead, he thought he was a bearer of good news, but I seized him and put him to death at Ziklag. That was my reward for him for this news. How much more then, when wicked men kill a righteous man in his own house, on his own bed. So now should I not require his blood from you and purge you from the earth? Wow. First of all, he calls Ishbosheth a righteous man. I thought that was interesting. He might've been a weak leader, a man of shame, but he died an innocent man. And he says, why shouldn't I purge you from this earth? Verse twelve. So David gave orders to the young men, and they killed Rechab and Baana. They cut off their hands and their feet, hung their bodies by the pool in Hebron. and They took Ishbosheth's head and buried it in Abner's tomb. I know sometimes you probably read things like this, or you're here on a Sunday morning. You're like, why am I here listening to people's heads getting cut off and hands getting cut off? And if they made movies out of this they'd be rated like NC-17. This is the Bible. I'm not saying David should have gone that far. Remember, he's a mixed bag. He's not perfect. But he remembers where he comes from. Can you say the same about yourself? I'm not perfect. But I know who my Redeemer is. I know who the redeemer of my life is, and it's not me. The Bible doesn't paint a perfect picture of David, not by a long shot, and I think one of the great things about that is, it helps us to understand that there is no one, none good but Jesus, and there's no one, not even these great names in the, in the Bible that we, we, we hoist up, that is without fault, in fact, serious fault, And yet, he's a man after God's own heart. If he can say that about David, the same could be be said about you if you remember where you come from. If you remember Jesus is the author and perfecter of your faith, David was not content to try to forcefully take a kingdom that was promised to him. We shouldn't be content to try to take and make a place for us in a kingdom we don't belong in. We let Jesus do that work. When we try to do it, that's religion, not relationship. He let God fight his battles. Let that be a lesson for us. Let God fight your battles. What battles are you facing today? What difficulties are you wrestling with today? Are you Carrying a burden unnecessarily Because you're not allowing God To fight your battles Have you made things worse Because you're not allowing God You're not being patient And giving God the time and space To do his work Because that's what David did And Jesus was the same way He waited for God's timing He could have asserted himself at any moment when he was walking this earth, you know? And I think probably if you or I were in Jesus' shoes, we probably would not have put up with it for very long. Anybody know what I'm talking about? I don't have to put up with this. I'm the son of God. Get out of my way. He doesn't do that. He lets God fight those battles. Why? He did that to save you and me. To do the work that needed to be done for us to gain forgiveness, favor, and a place in God's family. He did that for you and me. So that we don't have to. Let's let's pray. Close your eyes with me if you would. If you were encouraged by today's talk, be sure to rate us, share with a friend, and hit subscribe on Spotify, iTunes, or wherever you stream your podcasts. Our mission is simple. Come to life, connect to grow, find your purpose, make a difference. Thanks for listening to the Life Church Podcast.